the word that I always come back to is connection, being connected with God, with the people around me, and with the natural world around me too, the connection to myself as well. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. On today's episode, I'm talking to Hilary Beninsky. I met Hillary through my college roommate and best friend, Catherine. Hillary and Catherine grew up in Connecticut together and have been friends since middle school. I've only met Hillary a few times in person, but every time I would hear Catherine talk about her or when I had a chance to spend a little time with her, I just was struck by the sense of how caring and calm she is. She just has this sense of steadiness about her. The other day, I was listening to a CD of Blessings by John O'Donohue. He was a priest for a time and a poet, and he had a blessing for homecoming. And he talked about how spirituality is the art of homecoming, and truly spiritual people are always at home in themselves. And I just found myself thinking about this when I was thinking about Hillary and the steadiness that she seems to have and how she has gone far and wide. She moved to Washington State after college to join the Jesuit Volunteer Corps Northwest. She's been living in Portland for the past few years, and she talks in this episode about her pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago, which is a network of pilgrimage trails that ends at a shrine to St. James in Spain. But she has this sense of home about her, and she has this wisdom about what it means to wrestle with spirituality and religion and the church and finding the intersection of spirituality and service and what it means to be a collaborative community member rather than someone trying to be a helper or a fixer. She just has a lot to share, and I think you're going to hear the steadiness and calmness and wisdom in her voice just in the way that she speaks in this episode. I'm so excited for you to listen, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast, Hillary. Thank you so much for having me. I just wanted to start by asking you a little bit about your relationship to um, spirituality when you were a kid and a teenager? Was that something that you were always drawn to? Um, I would say that it's something that I've always been drawn to, but it's definitely been kind of an up and down journey. Um, I was raised Catholic um, by my parents, and we always went to church regularly. Um, I went to religious education, and so that was all part of my life. Did you like going to CCD, or did they have to drag you out of bed like I had to get dragged out of bed? (laughs) I mean, I was really interested in God and spirituality and stuff, but I had to get dragged out of bed for CCD. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. (laughs) Um, Funnily enough, my mom ended up kind of like homeschooling me for CCD um, for the first few years. So I feel like we had a very casual approach to that. And then I did a few years at a friend's house as well. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so I've always like been drawn to spirituality on some level, but I've um, definitely gone through phases of um, struggling with the church and struggling with what I believe in and such, but it's always been a part of my life in some way. I would say that during college was when I really sort of like came into my own, I think, in terms of my spirituality and um, and how I practiced and 
and all of that. And then since then, it's just continued to be up and down the whole way. Yeah. And you went to a Jesuit school, right? You went to Georgetown? Did. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was a big part of my experience there, too. Yeah. Did the Jesuits have an impact on you? They definitely did. Um, and that's it's something that I never knew was going to be influential going into it. Um, and then, yeah, I, I ended up like finding a, a community of people um, who are all like kind of practicing their faith, but also like living out their faith in some really great ways. Um, and then just being around the Jesuits and like this very intellectual atmosphere around religion, but also like a very accessible atmosphere around religion was really big for me. Definitely informed a lot of how the rest of my life has gone. How did you find that community in college? I wasn't actually seeking it out. I was going to church semi-regularly just because that was what I had always done. Um, And then my sophomore year, I ended up going on like a weekend retreat, which was something that I never, ever thought that I would be interested in. Um, And then I went and that was kind of the first time that I discovered like the power of actually talking about my spirituality with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, It had always been super private for me um, up until then. And then after that, I started kind of seeking out more of a community and just kind of happened to make friends with, um, with other people that were more actively involved. And, and it just kind of all built from there. I don't know if it's a Catholic thing or if it just happens. Like it seems like some churches are very, very much like they have a vibrant community and that's mm-hmm. a part of the person's life from the start when they grow up in a church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know like for me, I didn't, it, it everything was always very quiet and felt very yeah. kind of, and maybe that was just my experience of it, but it felt like a very individual activity in a lot of ways, even though you're like in this building with all of these people, there's not necessarily a lot of interaction and like sharing. Yeah, absolutely. That was my experience growing up too and so it was kind of a shock to me to like to discover a more open community um and just to kind of like find the power of talking about your deep beliefs or deep questions or whatever with Mm -hmm. other people it was yeah it was a little bit of a shock and then but in a very good way I would say like it, it was like it really opened me up a lot so in Georgetown you kind of found some of that community and you had Jesuit professors, right? And then Mm -hmm. you eventually decided to apply for the JVC, the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. Yeah, Um, that's right. How did that, how did you come to that decision? Was that something you thought about for a long time? Was it like a spur of the moment? Why don't I just try this? (laughs) I'm graduating and I have to do something. Um, it was, I did think about it for a while, actually. I think I, I remember first hearing a bit about it my sophomore year actually. So like that same year when I was kind of starting to like own my spirituality. And, um, as soon as I heard about it, I remember feeling like it was going to be a really good potential option for me. Um, like it just felt like it would be a a natural fit. And like throughout college, I was also involved with, um, the center for social justice. And so like that combination of social justice and, and spirituality was super appealing to me. And so I kind of had it in the back of my mind pretty much from sophomore year on. And then by the time I remember that I hit the summer before my senior year, I just, I just knew like that was the only thing that I was going to apply for and that was going to be it for me. Mm. 
Could you just describe what the Jesuit Volunteer Corps is for people who haven't heard of it? So I ended up being in um, Jesuit Volunteer Corps Northwest. So there's JVC Northwest and then JVC National. Um, and they're very similar, just separate branches. Um, but what it is, is um, an organization. And for me, it was affiliated with AmeriCorps too, which a lot of people are more familiar with. Um, and they will match you with a nonprofit and you serve there as a full-time volunteer for a year, but you're also placed in community with other people who are doing the same program um, in the same place as you. And there's a community aspect to it as well. So you're expected to um, engage with the people that you're living with in pretty intentional ways. Um, So you do typically like a spirituality night and a community night every week and you share a grocery budget. It's it's a very intentional community-based lifestyle. So it's more than just um, a volunteer. together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're not just roommates. You said you were involved with the Center for Social Justice when you were at Georgetown? Yeah. What drew you to social justice then, and what did you learn um, during your time there before you even went to the Northwest? I feel like I always have kind of had this, like, driver desire to help other people, and that's kind of where I was approaching it in the beginning, like, coming from more of a fixing perspective, and I would say something that I've learned over the years is to kind of, like, drop that helper Mm -hmm. mentality and move more towards a collaborative, community-based mentality um, and, like, recognizing the power of being with people rather than trying to help them or to fix their problems. Um, so I feel like that was definitely a growth process that um, that started for me through my experience in college and then definitely continued through JVC. Yeah, and kind of, kind of recognizing, like, the good intentions that I've always had are, are good and that's fine. Um, but, but kind of trying to develop that over the years. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because that's something that you kind of learn on an individual level too, just with the immediate people in your life that Mm. like when a close friend or a partner or whoever comes to you with a problem, if you take an attitude of, I know exactly how to fix this, they might occasionally want you to do that. But like oftentimes (laughs) people want you to listen and hear them and like feel with them and a lot of times people also know what to do for themselves they just need some support and compassion and like you know I'm here for you and I see you and I love you no matter what and then they have strength to do what they need to do so it's just interesting that oftentimes like the microcosm kind of proves the (laughs) the greater truth too yeah absolutely and I totally, yeah, I love what you said about, yeah, people people have the strength to do what they need to do, right? Like, I so I believe that so strongly now. A lot of people know. You're right. They just, maybe they're asking because they they don't quite want to know yet or, you know, <laughs> like, or they yeah. just need a little extra encouragement or or they need help, like they need resources. They need you to help, help them achieve it, but they still kind of know what needs to be done for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was the transition like going from college? So you went to Georgetown in Washington, D.C. You're from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And then you moved to Portland, Oregon, right? I actually moved to Spokane, Washington first. Oh, that's right. Um, okay, yeah. yeah. So I, I did two years of JVC. That's um, right. And it was, it was a big change for yeah. sure. 
that's just so many like you gra- graduating from college at least I found that so disorienting on its own yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> so then sure. to like did you know anyone in the area did you know anyone you were going to be living with what was it like to <laughs> go <laughs> oh my gosh um it's so funny because this was like five years ago so I feel like it you know, like it always like kind of comes up again around this time, like mm, remembering how yeah. it felt to move out here for the first time. Yeah. Um, so, no, I was living with total strangers. Um, there were 13 JVs total in Spokane um, and there were two JV houses. So I actually did have um, a friend from college who was living in the house that was pretty much across the street from me, which was lovely. So I knew him and then everybody else was completely new to me. I didn't know anybody in the city of Spokane at all knew very little about Spokane itself. Um, it was all just brand new. I had never been to the Northwest before. Had you seen Twilight um, even? <laughs> I hadn't even seen Twilight. <laughs> and even if I had, it would not have prepared me for, um, yeah. for Spokane itself. <laughs> very true. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was an intense transition for sure. I know. Yeah. That summer was just so up and down, like after graduating before moving out here. And I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into, which I think I know more now than I did at the time. <laughs> um, but I was really fortunate to live with a really amazing group of people. And I, obviously it was, it was a lot to, you know, move in with six completely new people and have to um, live intentionally in community and like start this new social work position all at Mm. once but we were just so fortunate with our community that I feel like it it pretty quickly started to feel like family um, and Spokane started to feel like home really quickly and yeah so it was it was it was rough um, at first but but it was good from my light research, um, <laughs> I read that that the four core values of the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, which I'm I'm guessing are the same for JVC Northwest, maybe yeah, are yeah. Um, spirituality, simple living, social justice, and community. Is that right? That is correct. And then JVC Northwest actually adds in ecological justice along oh, with social justice. I like that. Um, yeah, cool. yeah, I did too. That was another reason. That drew me to GBC Northwest specifically. And some of that is like pretty countercultural, <laughs> especially yeah. for young people yeah. for like you were, I guess, 22 at the time, right? When you joined, mm-hmm. um, yeah. especially the simple living, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and even, I mean, spirituality for, I mean, it's like such a loaded term in our culture, I feel like. Yeah, yeah for sure. So this is like a big question, but I'm just curious to hear how those values played out in your house. Like, what did you struggle with the most? What was nourishing? I know that's a really huge question. So however you want to tackle it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like so, gosh, there's there's a lot of like, I think, ways of living that are very JV, like, um, I don't like a lot of people will like bike to work um, or like you drink out of like old jars instead of glasses or like just like things like that. And so we definitely had a lot of those. Like living simply. So not using living simply. Yeah. Not buying a lot. lot. I'm assuming. Yeah. Not 
driving a lot. We did have um, <laughs> one um, old van, but it was <laughs> by no means like something that we drove every day. Um, <laughs> was it white? So, <laughs> was it like an unmarked white it van? Was, <laughs> it was an unmarked brown van. Oh, okay. Her name was Bessie. Um, <laughs> she had no turn signals. No. <laughs> did and you just like do the sign of the cross every time you had to turn? <laughs> It was like one of those things where like she would like stall in the intersection. (laughs) Oh no. That was an adventure too. Um, (laughs) But yeah, yeah, there's definitely like a lot of like little ways I think that we would all kind of try and live more simply. Um, And I definitely was excited about that too. Like the idea of like making more stuff rather than buying stuff. Um, We all cook together every night. So I feel like that Actually, well, that covers a lot of the values, I think. Yeah, um, I, yeah I would argue that like sharing a meal covers all four of those values. Yeah. Um, and making it together, too. Yeah, yeah. So we would, we, there were seven of us, um, and we each had one night to cook. Um, and that one works out perfectly. Dishes. Yeah, it was <laughs> great. And um, I think that's kind of rare for, for JV communities. Um, I know in my second year, community we didn't have dinner together every night um but in my first year we would um always have the option like for a community meal yeah we spent a lot of time together you know we we didn't really go out that much we just spent a lot of time kind of like being together um that sounds so nice it was really nice but also like it could have its challenges right like yeah yeah and that well I think so community is definitely hard work um for sure especially I mean, you have a bunch of people like right out of college for the most part, um, like all just kind of coming into their young adulthood and (laughs) all working some pretty intense um, jobs and also, again, being strangers that you have to like figure out what kind of milk you're going to buy with. (laughs) Um, So there's definitely like a lot of potential um, for conflict and growth and um, like we definitely put work into becoming what we became I would say and a lot of work in terms of like supporting each other and like learning how to ask what we needed for um and like how to listen to each other and like accept other people's perspectives and all of that and I got I was so lucky with both of my JV years with the people that I lived with um but even so I think everyone would agree like it's it's work just like any relationship it's like having six relationships right? <laughs> yeah in one yeah. house yeah yeah <laughs> it really is so it was a co-ed house right it was yeah what was the ratio of uh girls to guys men to women <laughs> there was one guy in my first house and one guy in my second house oh. and my first house was a house of seven my second house was a house of eight are jv houses often um predominantly female yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I'd say it's pretty rare for there to even be like an even ratio. Yeah. Is that hard for the one guy <laughs> living in the house, do you think? I think I, the guys that I lived with were both really great about it. Um, I think, I mean, it, I think it might have been a little bit intimidating at first. Um, well, I don't want to speak for how they were feeling, but... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think it's a little bit hard, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like people like, yeah, just people. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah just seven people in a house. Yeah. Um, 
were there times when you felt pressure to be in community when you would have rather been by yourself or, you know, just been with other people? <laughs> like, were there nights where you mm-hmm. were like, I don't want to eat dinner with everyone right now. <laughs> I just <laughs> want to go to my room <laughs> or go get Chipotle or something by myself. <laughs> I think, yeah, there are definitely, definitely days like where I felt emotionally exhausted both of my years. Um, after a long day, again, at like a pretty emotionally, um, demanding place of work, um, where I totally could have just crawled into bed and, and stayed there all night. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I ever really felt pressure. Um, I think everyone was, at least in my experience, like pretty understanding, like that, that we would need space to ourselves because everybody needed that. Um, but there were definitely days where it, it was like just a whole, an extra commitment on top of a long day yeah. um, where it would have been really, really easy to just flake out and shut down and tune out. Be there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was kind of valuable just to be like pushed that way. Cause I can definitely tend to just kind of take my introvert time a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like just retreat into myself. Um, so I think in that sense, it was, it was helpful to be pushed a little bit, mm-hmm. even though sometimes it was tiring, but yeah. then sometimes it would also be totally worth it, you know, like for like laughing together or like having moments with other roommates. Uh, yeah. It could sometimes totally be like the thing that would turn your day around. Yeah. So what was the work that you were doing while you were there? In my first year, I was at a crisis nursery, um, which is basically a, an emergency respite childcare facility. Um, it's a really cool setup. I wish that there were more of these actually around the country. Um, but I had never heard of it before I ended up there. And basically, they just are like a safe place for kids to go for free and it was a full childcare facility. Um, so I did some direct childcare there. And then I also did some work on the intake side of things. Um, so like helping to schedule families and taking their calls, um, taking some crisis calls and then like doing the intake and exit appointments with the families when they would come to pick up their kids or drop them off. Um, and so that was my first year in Spokane. And then my second year in Portland, I was working at a domestic violence shelter, um, or actually still work on call. And I was doing, um, basically case management for, um, survivors of domestic violence in shelter and then just general shelter support, um, whatever, whatever immediate needs needed to be addressed that day. Always changing. Yeah. So the, the crisis childcare was that mostly short-term care yeah that was it was short-term care um so it was I think up to three nights was as much as you could extend it Mm. um unless there was like a really severe emergency I guess but um yeah so short-term so some kids would come like for a few hours during the day some kids would stay the night um and then we would have like you know I got to know families and kids they would come back um periodically but definitely a short-term situation you know sometimes people would use us because they needed to like go on a job interview Mm -hmm. or um you know like go to a medical appointment um or 
like go and donate plasma or something that's not um, like an immediate crisis situation. Um, but then there also definitely would be like, you know, domestic violence in the home or homelessness or medical emergencies. Um, or like if the parent just was feeling like they really needed a break and to keep their kids safe, that they should be somewhere else, then we were there for that too. Mm. Was that emotionally difficult work for you? I think for the most part, um, it was all right. Although um, at times it definitely was emotionally difficult, um, especially, you know, if there were situations where you could tell that a child was suffering, obviously that's incredibly hard to see. Um, And as well as getting attached to some of the children and kind of seeing their ongoing stories, um, that could definitely be emotionally challenging. Um, But then there were other days where it was, you know, just hanging out with the kids, Um, you know, a little bit more like light and easy. I've read, you know, lots of wise people talking about how like true good spirituality brings you out into the world and into deeper Mm. engagement with the world. So I can totally see why you, why being called to service, you would also want a spiritual component and like a community to hold you while you're doing that work. Was that really important to you in knowing like, okay, I want to go into, I want to serve, um, but I need some sort of, I need some spiritual practice and I need some community that is like-minded to, to hold me through that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, but yeah, both of those things are, are huge and just like sustaining or were huge for me and like sustaining that work. Um, like having, having things that nourished me in a deeper way were really important to like being able to show up, um, to the harder days. Um, and I think I know that I'm at my most, um, like grounded and my fullest self when I'm like the most in touch with my spirituality. Um, which like I said earlier, kind of ebbs and flows. Um, but I just, I know that's true for me, um, that when I'm really like practicing and in touch with that side of myself, I'm able to like give a lot more of myself, um, and just like kind of be more in tune with the world around me. Um, and then, yeah, similarly with community, like, I think it's all about connection, like feeling connected to something greater and then feeling connected to the people around me and feeling connected to myself. Um, I think those are all all really necessary. Um, and then like having that healthy foundation helps me to show up for other people. Not everyone in JV is necessarily religious, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. There's like a diverse array of spiritual backgrounds, right? Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, what did that look like in your house or in both of your houses? In both of my houses, I think for the most part, um, a lot, a lot of my community members, um, like myself were raised Catholic and then just had like varying, um, degrees of involvement or struggle with the church. Um, also like myself. Um, so yeah, it varied from, from people being like regular mass goers to, um, not at all, or not sure what they believed or practicing in a different way, um, in a more personal way. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of all over the map, but for the most part sharing that, um, 
original Catholic background and then in different places with it as young adults. It's been so interesting because I feel like at that same time, like when I had just graduated, I was like not at all interested in Catholicism, really. Like I had gotten to Mm -hmm. a place where I was just like, nope. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and was pretty, pretty much just like, I believe in nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like in a Mm -hmm. kind of dark (laughs) place. Um, But in the past few years, like I've circled back around to like, can I see Christianity in a different way? Can I see Catholicism in a different way? Can I like open up my understanding or can I see spirituality, prayer, God? Can I see all these things in like a bigger way? Um, Mm -hmm. Not just in terms of dogma and doctrine, but see like how big the scope is of all the people that have come before and the different ways that they've thought and acted. And there's more to religion and spiritual practice than dogma and judgment and being in or out or right or wrong and mm-hmm. I've just had very black and white thinking about it um mm-hmm. how do you kind of at this moment because I know it changes yeah. but what's yeah. how do you kind of wrestle with spirituality in one hand and religion in the other what's the relationship for you at this point mm-hmm. that's a really big uh, question too. yeah yeah <laughs> no it's a good question though I think it's it's definitely important for me to think about it too because I think there's times where I kind of just will like push it away because it feels too big. Um, but yeah, it's definitely definitely something that I'm continuing to struggle with, um, and I think I'll always struggle with it. Um, like I I know I'm never going to be at a place where I, I feel like completely. I don't know. I don't know how to at put it ease. exactly, but yeah, completely <laughs> at ease. It. Like in in the church, I don't think that's going to happen during my lifetime. Um, but I like so far haven't moved away from it um, as much as I am. Also, especially in this moment, oh, all the ongoing abuse scandals and the cover ups and all of that. Um, anyways, yeah. So I, I I definitely would say I'm struggling with it still right now. Um, I always consider myself to be a spiritual person, but, um, I just, I, yeah, for years have, have gone back and forth on my relationship with the church and, and yeah, at the end of the day, like it still feels like my spiritual home and, and having a place to celebrate my faith in community on some level is, is really important to me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be. I think just an ongoing back and forth. And, and I also have spent some time going to different religious services and just kind of seeing what else is out there too. Cause I love like exploring everything um, that the world has to offer in terms of religion and spirituality outside of Catholicism as well. But yeah, definitely I would say I'm still in a place of struggle with it and, and I don't see that ending. Yeah. And I think that's just means that you're like awake and and you care about it all. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't want it to end unless something dramatic changes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's not a bad thing by any means, but. What did spirituality in community look like? Like, were there certain um, practices that you shared together? Did you talk about faith? Um, Yeah. I'm curious what that looked like in your house yeah. 
or in your houses? Um, for the most part. So we would do in both of my houses, we would do a weekly spirituality night. Um, and I'm trying to remember actually how we did it because we changed it during my first year, but at least during my second year, um, what we would do is, um, we actually had it as part of our, our chore wheel. Um, so one person would, um, organize a spirituality night and somebody else would do a community night. And that's something that we would do every week. Um, and it could just be anything that was meaningful, um, to that person. Um, so maybe that would be like talking about our experiences with religion or like listening to a particular podcast or like taking time to like journal, um, anything like that. So it was kind of, yeah, all over the map. I would say like a lot of creative interpretations of like how we could be spiritual together, which I really appreciated. Um, and I feel like then along with that, another part of both of my years was just kind of like finding the sacred in in moments day to day. Um, so not necessarily like time set aside for spirituality. Um, but there were a lot of times when like being in like true community felt really holy, um, and really beautiful and kind of like coming to recognize that mm. was really important for me. Um, but as a community though, it was pretty much the nightly or the weekly spirituality night that would be something totally different every week. Could you give an example of a time in community when you were like, this feels really amazing? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh gosh. I honestly, I, I think about times like when we were in nature together, um, cause nature is another big part of my own spirituality. Um, or just like times when we would have like a really good conversation at dinner or just like, like feeling that sense of connection with each other. Um, or, um, like in my first year I had, um, one roommate who played the guitar really beautifully. And, um, sometimes there would just be these moments where we were just kind of all end up quiet and listening to her play. Mm. Um, felt really special yeah so it sounds like I mean spirituality helped you to do service but were there times when your service work really led you more towards despair than (laughs) hope like were there times when seeing and being with suffering was made you feel more doubt or more disconnected yeah I think so I think I found that more so during my second year um working in shelter. Um, I definitely remember having like, yeah, a a few moments of really like trying to grapple with what I believed and like what all of this like suffering and trauma means. And, um, I think what was, what kind of was hardest and what maybe doubt the most was just like how broken our systems are um so like the fact that people are suffering so deeply and we're not able to as a society like respond in a compassionate way um that was that was really hard and continues to be really hard um to watch 
Yeah. And hard because, like, you individually can't fix. <laughs> yeah. The whole... Yeah. You, you can't even fix, like, your neighborhood, you know, yeah. <laughs> as one yeah. person. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have so much admiration for people who do such difficult work, like, on the ground every day because you have to keep, like, in one hand, accept, like, the reality of, accept a certain sense of reality and, in the other hand, have a certain sense of hope right mm -hmm. because like yeah yeah you that's need a good way to put it both at the same time but I can imagine that it's just really tricky to find that balance of like not being overly idealistic or like a Pollyanna but also yeah. not yeah. just getting if you got if you get dragged down with despair then you won't do anything right mm -hmm. how did you grapple with that I think just seeing the resilience um of people that I've that I've worked with mm. and people that I've known is really the biggest, the biggest thing. Um, yeah, I think it kind of circles back to what we were saying earlier about like not being a fixer. Um, you know, like, yeah, accepting the situation at hand. And then also I think setting up your own emotional boundaries as well um, mm. is really important to that. But yeah, people are so resilient. And so that's kind of the flip side of doing this work is you see a lot of suffering and a lot of trauma and a lot of pain, but you also get to see a lot of really incredible resilience that is just, yeah, just stunning. I feel like every time I have a conversation about spirituality, like I eventually get to trust. like, mm. And that you just saying, like seeing people's resilience, it reminded me like, oh yeah, you essentially have to trust that other people can also heal and and be resilient and that there are other people who are also serving and I don't know like just that word trust came up for mm -hmm. me as you yeah. were talking yeah absolutely yeah and it's you know like you were saying earlier like people know what they need to do for themselves so it's just kind of a matter of showing up I think that's why the system work is so difficult because mm -hmm. you don't necessarily trust like or I, I feel like it's hard to trust that those systems are going to change yeah yeah absolutely you were serving for two years and then you continued working at the shelter where you had mm -hmm. been technically volunteering before right yeah um did you was it difficult to move out of the house where you had been living in community? Yeah, it was difficult. I think so by the end of two years, I was absolutely ready to move on. Mm -hmm. um, I was just I was ready for a change in that sense. And just to have a little bit a little bit more room to breathe, I guess, a little bit less like emotional work. We all were, you know, we're all trying to to show up for each other. And again, like being committed to these weekly community nights and spirituality nights and you know, you want to be intentional about that. And so, you know, you're not just sitting through it. You're like very actively a part of it. Also as an introvert and mm -hmm. someone who definitely needs for alone time in order to recharge, like can all be a little overwhelming at times. But that being said, it was really hard to say goodbye um, yeah. to the people that I'd been sharing a home with for a year, both times, you know, like sharing a lot of meals together and uh, like always having somebody around to be with. Um, 
things like that is that was definitely hard it was it was really sad so you continued to work in the shelter for like two years is that right after um yeah yeah I'm losing track of the years but yeah it was about <laughs> four years. but you eventually decided to leave right at least for a little while and do yeah the Camino yeah that's right I um I decided so I was working as um like a primary advocate so so a case manager basically um on like the core team of advocates and um eventually I really really needed a break from that and needed a change and so I decided that I was going to leave my job um and I had always wanted to do the do the Camino it had been kind of like a a bucket list dream for a long time it's the Camino de Santiago um and there's quite a few different routes um but it is an old pilgrimage route um that ends up in Santiago Spain um which is said to be um where the the remnants of um St. James body um, ended up and so for ever since um, I think medieval times people have been making a pilgrimage there Um, and it's become more popular I think in recent years Um, there was a a movie I think it was called The Way about it Um, and there's been different books about people that do it Um, but it is traditionally a pilgrimage walk but people will do it kind of um, for all sorts of reasons, kind of like JVC, um, or kind of like in the way that people will do like the PCT or the Appalachian Trail, um, but just with a, a, a lot less um, of a wilderness backpacking mm-hmm. aspect. Um, there's towns and um, like pilgrim hostels along the way. What drew you to it? My aunt lives in France um, outside of Tours. Uh, out in the country and she her house is right on one of the routes that starts way up in France um, and it's all down through northern Spain and I had heard of it before I was kind of intrigued Uh, my mom actually was the first person who told me about it and she said that she had always wanted to do it Um, and then I was visiting my aunt and would see every now and then um, people walking by and my aunt told me um that they were on the on the way and that they'd had people stay in their house before. Um, and then I actually was out walking around um, out in the wheat fields and I bumped into a pilgrim myself um, and she was like asking me for directions, which I was not able to help much with. Um, <laughs> um, and then she like, we chatted for a couple of minutes and um, she like gave me a blessing and then headed on her way. And ever since then it was just, Um, it was a dream. Um, but it was something that I never thought that I would be able to do like for years and years down the road, you know, like a, a far off dream. And then as I was kind of getting ready and knew that I was going to be leaving my job, um, I actually was sitting in church one day, um, and realized that, that I could do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And then at first I wasn't like, I was kind of doubting myself, you know, like I wasn't, really sure if I could actually make it happen. Um, and so I was playing with the idea for 
like a month or two and then I decided I was just going to go for it and that the time was right and I'm so glad that I did. And how long did that take? It took me just under a month. Um, so I did the most popular route that um, you start in the very, very southwest of France, right by the Pyrenees, um, and walk over the Pyrenees, and then you're in Spain, and you cut across, all the way across um, northern Spain. And so it's about 500 miles, and it was just under a month of mostly walking, and then I did bike um, the middle kind of section across the plains. Um, So that sped it up a little bit. Did you sing the Proclaimers um, 500 miles song, like, the whole way? (laughs) Do you know that song? I think, yeah. I I didn't even make that connection until um, our friend Alex, actually, I think was the one who pointed that out to me. (laughs) It's a good walking song. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And you went went alone, right? I did, yeah. It was just me. So did you meet, meet other pilgrims along the way? Did you, how much time did you spend alone versus with other people while you were doing the walk? Yeah, I, I did not spend a lot of it alone, actually. So um, I went in totally alone by myself, just, you know, wanted to do it just for me. Um, and then by day two, I already was seeing familiar faces. And I think that's kind of the nature of the Camino, too. It's very community-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, a huge part of it is getting to know other people that are walking And the cool thing is that other people are typically following pretty much the same plan as you. Um, So you would like see people in the hostels at night um, or as you were walking. And then, you know, sometimes you would like go for a few days and then all of a sudden someone that you had met like a week ago would pop up again and you'd be chatting with them. Um, So it was like by the second day, I already felt like I had like old friends on the route. (laughs) Um, And so then, yeah, from then on out, Um, I would spend some of the day walking by myself and then some of the day, um, sometimes I would just kind of organically end up in conversation with like people that came up along the way. And then other times I would intentionally walk with people that I had met for a ways. Um, and then when I biked the middle section, I biked with, um, three other people that I had met along the way. So we spent that whole time together. And then it was just the very last session. Um, I kind of, after I'd been biking um, with those other folks, I set off just me because they were staying another day behind. Um, And I spent a lot more time alone during the last week or so because I was way ahead of everybody else that I knew after biking. And that was definitely really valuable as well. Were you kind of like hoping for that a little bit? Like (laughs) for some Yeah, yeah. I, I was. It was definitely, I think I needed some solo reflection time um, and some time to kind of reconnect with myself. So Mm. I was, I was appreciative of that too. It felt good. Um, But it was also really magical to, to meet people along the way. It was like this really beautiful sense of community and just this environment where everyone's just incredibly kind and supportive to one another. It was really beautiful to experience. Was it mostly like older people on the trail or was there a range of ages there was a range I would say for the most part it was people around our age and then people around retirement age um like that would be the most heavily represented 
demographics, but there definitely was a range um, and like a range of people from all over the world too, which was really neat. Yeah. One of my aunts was saying recently, she feels like now that she is an empty nester, like she has more in common with like um, people in their twenties than (laughs) like people in their (laughs) forties because she's like in a similar place of having more kind of a more open life at the moment like her kids are taking care of themselves and for the most part you know and she has yeah. like a little more time and there's not necessarily a set path for her right now or yeah. aren't as busy so it's just kind of interesting to hear like yeah that it would be kind of it would be 20 somethings and maybe 60 somethings or whatever yeah, <laughs> <on Yeah>. that. <laughs> that makes sense yeah. did you have certain expectations for um, for that trip or were you trying to stay open? Were there expectations like, I feel like something like that, it's, it's like, there must be a lot of buildup and then yeah. when it's happening, sometimes it's hard to even like take it in. So I'm just curious what, yeah, what yeah. that was like. I tried not to like set myself up with too many expectations. Um, but I definitely did have things that I was kind of hoping to get out of it. Um, I think the biggest thing really was like reconnecting with my spirituality as well. Cause I felt like I had really drifted away from that part of myself in recent months or maybe even years. Um, and so that, that was a huge motivator for me. Um, and then as well, just kind of, just like really taking some time to reconnect with myself um, as well. Mm. And yeah, just, just taking some space to like reflect and just be and, and, and feel connected like to myself and, and to the world was really important because I was, I was feeling so burnt out um, mm. when I left my job that I feel like I kind of needed to like shake off the hot, the cobwebs and, like get get some new good energy going through my body, my mind. And do you feel like you got that sense of connection? I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. I think like that the combination of just moving every day, like being outside every day and then experiencing community with people along the way as well as getting that alone time with myself was really really valuable yeah yeah I I did I felt I felt kind of the connection that I was that I was looking for I think it was it was a pretty magical experience I would say so after that you eventually made your way back to Portland right and you were saying that you still work on call a little bit for that shelter I have been kind of all over the place since I got back actually um so I'm still still on call there which is great to still be connected um and then I've been doing nannying work um and I've been taking um classes at the community college that's close to my house um I've been taking prerequisite classes looking into um going to grad school for nutrition um so I've been taking a lot of science classes that I never thought I would take (laughs) what led you to um want to start taking those classes so I've always been really interested in food. So there was that. And then um was interested in 
counseling, but then, and I think the Camino was part of this too, um, just felt kind of drawn to like the mind body connection, um, and like the intersection of mental and physical health and, um, just sort of starting to recognize more and more like the role that, that nutrition plays in my own life and, Mm -hmm. and like getting more in touch with my body through the Camino and through, through growing up and, and all of that. Um, it just kind of felt like an, an intersection of a lot of things that I was interested in. Something I never, ever thought that I would do. I always like studied humanities or social sciences and I never thought that I could do science. So it's been a fun, a fun new adventure. (laughs) Do you ever find yourself in that mindset of I'm not a science person I can't do this or (laughs) do you feel more yes yeah I have to talk myself down out of it actually um I feel like yeah there'll be so many times when I'll just kind of set myself up with this mental block of like oh well I won't understand that and Mm -hmm. I have to very intentionally tell myself no you can understand this and and now I know that I have been able to so I can kind of um bolster my confidence that way but yeah I really had to adjust my mindset actually and um yeah that ended up being like a really powerful thing actually unexpectedly like kind of a gift of of taking these classes was just having to like like reassess what I'm capable of and not limit myself mm-hmm. in that way it makes you actually realize the story that you're telling yourself about yourself yeah, right? yeah 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 which can be so powerful and I feel like often we don't even realize that we're doing that. Yeah. Like there's things that we just kind of take for granted, like things that we've been telling ourselves our whole life long and then deconstructing that is hard. Yeah. I feel like we get, we categorize ourselves and or get categorized really early on in school as a, an yeah. English history or math science person. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, then there are like yeah. the genius kids that are good at all of it. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, really early on, like we, can can decide I'm not good at that and I am good at this and that sticks it definitely really sticks yeah for sure I know there's just so many times when I can like catch my own thought patterns and have to kind of redirect myself it's funny because I was going to ask you like what intentional living looks for looks like for you now like when you're not living explicitly in an intentional community Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) um yeah it sounds like that that sounds like part of it that you're a student and you're trying to keep an open mind, not just in terms of learning about this new subject, but watching your own thoughts and stories and yeah, being careful about what you, how you speak to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything from your time living, um, in an intentional community that you that you carry with you now and try to incorporate into your life? Yeah, I think so. I think unconsciously kind of a lot of the ways that I've come to communicate with other people and like view my own expectations of what relationships will be like, I think um, change during those years. And I think I've, I kind of like gained some new tools around communication and expectations that I'm still carrying with me um and then I think I I definitely also have carried some of those um like tendencies towards simple living and I think one of one of my big focuses this past year has been like 
trying to live in a more ecologically simple way and a lot of things in that are holdovers from my JV year um, or like I started tendencies during my JV year that I think I've, I've been able to continue. Um, I've been really intrigued by the whole zero waste movement, like people trying to live with um, without making as much trash. Um, and I feel like that's been a big continuation of my JV years, um, trying not to waste things and like kind of re-envision the way that I live my life um, and my relationship to like physical things around me. That's been a really big journey for me this past year, actually. And that definitely um, really connects to food and nutrition as well. So like that yeah. really sounds like it yeah. touches on so many things that are close to your heart. Like when I read James Martin's stuff, um, yeah. it always sticks out to me, like his messages about God in all things and um, seeing desire as like a good thing, not a bad thing. Like we often think about desire in the context of religion being something that needs to be like rooted out or stamped out. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it sounds like you've followed your desire a lot and it's led you to some really cool places. Like mm -hmm. you had a desire to go to the Northwest and <laughs> you know, <laughs> you had that experience and you had this desire to do the Camino and now you're like following this desire to, to learn more about nutrition and you just seem like a good example of someone who like follows that, those little pulls, like not necessarily knowing where they're going to mm. lead. Mm -hmm. Does that connect with you at all? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's something I think that that's definitely how I try and live my life. And I think in the moment, it definitely doesn't always like look as, as clear. Um, but I do think, yeah, that, that like Ignatian practice of discernment definitely um, continues to resonate with me like in the way that I think about my future decisions like grad school or future career anything like that um, I think it's it's easy to kind of doubt myself in that but but yeah it's it's nice to look back at it that way I appreciate that this is another big question so this is just however <laughs> however you feel about it right now okay um how would you define spirituality right now? And what does it look like for you right now? I think it, it still looks like the word that I always come back to is connection. Like it looks like being connected with God, with the people around me and with nature, with the natural world around me too. It's yeah, like that space in between is where the spiritual is for me yeah the connection between people and then and the connection to myself as well yeah I think I, I always come back to the um idea of interbeing um which I've read about from Thich Nhat Hanh um but yeah just this idea that everyone and everything is interconnected and for me that also means that we're all connected to like a greater divinity as well like the episode i hope that you'll share it and subscribe on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review it helps people to find the podcast 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join me next time. Bye.